come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your poltergeist, Kinsey. I'm your poltergeist, Donna. I'm your poltergeist, Mac. And this week we have poltergeist and co-host of the Horror Hangover, Cass. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me on again. Oh, you're very welcome. And this week, because we are in our devil suite, we are discussing the 1968 classic film, Rosemary's Baby. So we're going to be spoiler territory so fast. And let's just go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Had you seen it before? I um, had not seen it before. And Ooh. I thought I had. But then as I was watching it, I was like, no, nah, man, I would have remembered that. And I would have remembered that. I for sure would have remembered that. So I I didn't want to like it. It would have made things so much easier for me if I had not liked it. But this is a really good film. This is really good. And I enjoyed it very much, especially for it being old. I expected to not enjoy the pacing. It's a really good film. So, no, I enjoyed it very much. And I will undoubtedly watch it again. It is one of those for me that my feelings about it are very complicated. Like, I recognize that it is very well done, very well performed, the pacing, but the material infuriates me so much, so, so much. Like I forget just because this was my second or no, excuse me, my third viewing of it. And I forget how much it angers me that like, I'm just so angry by the time <laughs> I'm done watching it. So as so I said, my feelings are complicated <laughs> about it. Uh, I had seen it probably the last time I'm going to say close to 20 years ago. So uh, details of it had dimmed for me. I read the book ahead of watching it this time. And I I like the movie. I think it's actually a pretty interesting exercise in transcription over adaptation. There's not a lot that's in the movie that isn't in the book. The movie is just a little sped up. And Don was talking about how the pacing is good. It's like it ran the novel through at about five times speed and got through all the beats, sometimes overlapping, sometimes, uh, you know, rushing through it as quickly as possible. There's a lot as you're reading the book and watching the movie where you're going like, oh, come on, lady, didn't you see what they just did? And then also the realization that Rosemary doesn't realize she's in a horror story fully until the very end. She has suspicions at the uh, the uh, the ritual to impregnate her. I was looking for the right the right word. There's several that would qualify. But yeah, I think the movie is uh, pretty pretty well done. I would watch it again. I mean. We, off camera we were talking about Mia Farrow which inevitably brought up Alan and it's uh, Woody's also one of those directors along with Roman Polanski where you're watching a movie and you're going hmm I don't know if I should be doing this right now and I think with Polanski's stuff and this might get into a discussion point later on I have an easier time detaching myself from the awfulness of his personal life because I think the art is that elevated and it does never, it never feels necessarily autobiographical. Whereas a lot of Woody Allen movies do. And then you're like, yeah. Oh man, why are you bragging about this? Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm similar to Kenzie in the sense that I recognize the shots are really brilliantly framed and the coloring of the film is, is gorgeous it's very atmospheric it's one of those perfect movies to like kick off the halloween season for me especially but i get really wrapped up in getting more and more frustrated watching mia faro as i finish the film and then having to sit with my feelings of why am i so upset with what is like arguably still a great performance because the way the film casts that character like she is the ingenue she is out of the loop she's doing everything that the script is calling her for to do and she's performing the hell out of it but the limitations of those that character infuriates me so much that i think i can see why over time 
certain stills of this movie has become a bit of a parody, especially like the the ending, which is phenomenal. But I've seen a lot of parodies of the like the quote we will get to later. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, it's such a shame because like, why are we so why are we so hard and, and Pharaoh for delivering a hell of a performance and making it seem like she's just a dumb actor and capable of acting? Because I think of like 1977's The Haunting of Julia, which is a perfect film for me. I love it. If you haven't seen it, it's also still a movie about a character that Mia Farrow is playing who has feelings of helplessness, lost, definitely a, like a weird entity is happening to her and like destroying her life and her sanity. But she just feels so much meatier as a character in that film mm. that this one just, it's hard for me to to root for her. And I hate that because I feel like if the script was different, this could have been like an all-time favorite film for me. All right. Well, for those of you that... You went mute there, Kenzie. Kenzie? Hey, this is the technical difficulties yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, this is. Hold on just a second here. Yeah. Let me... I think you were going into synopsis, but we didn't get any of it. Yeah, no, I see. Okay. okay. Take two. A young couple trying for a baby moves into an aging, ornate apartment building on Central Park West where they find themselves surrounded by peculiar neighbors. Okay, that's also almost the synopsis of Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, it, it's so close. Like, I, you change one word in that. And it is the plot of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, but what is... A, yeah, hang on just a second here, Mac. Someone say something. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, hold on. Hail Satan. Oh, God, Mac. <laughs> oh, that Mac. was the little Southern Baptist girl. She came out for you there, Kenzie. Yeah. <laughs> I heard her. <laughs> oh, but, like, this is much more Catholic guilt in this. <laughs> yeah, I am... Are we going to have to call Billy? Yeah, I think because I'm trying. And then, and then he's going to be annoyed because. Because he's joined a coven and this was all. Of- yeah, I feel like Satan is, is uh, fucking with us now. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you talk about my son? <laughs> this is supposed to be a secret, you guys. <laughs> On the lowdown. Shh. Look what I did for Lansky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You need to leave some of this riffing in, Billy. <laughs> some good stuff here. You're just adding work to Billy's play. I'm sorry, Billy. <laughs> Future Billy, I'm so sorry. This splicing so, so fun. <laughs> so fun. All right. I'm going to have to go get him. Hang on. Okay. Oh, no. The Wrath of Billy. Oh, man. I don't think I'll ever fully commit to write like writing anything like horror wise that is like super satanic i think a small part of me is kind of superstitious and thinks that i would probably curse myself like i'm okay with doing ghosties and things like that but like ever being like looking up demons or writing in like some sort of chant i'd be like no i just i don't think i could could you too no i i did you did Uh, one of my books was a i mean not like satan but more like pazuzu cthulhu adjacent But it involved, uh, it was in the 50s, and the Reagans were sort of the uh, Cassavettes. Oh, that's Yeah, and, and and trying to, like, embody this demon, and that, that was sort of riffing on that. Did weird stuff happen to you when you wrote about demons? Not no, really? not really, no. You're I lying. never, but I never bought into it. It was all just sort of plot dressing, so. I uh, was raised Southern Baptist. As, oh. as I think you've heard, yeah. and um, there is still a little part of me that is. And while I am one, I should probably say maybe 99% scientist, I will still not go in a bathroom with a candle and close the door and say Bloody Mary three times because why? What's the point? What is to be gained? I know nothing yeah. will happen, so why try it? And there will be no Ouija board in my house because... What's to be gained? Nothing. Nothing is to be gained. Yeah, and if I happen to be wrong, I've let evil spirits into my house. So what's what's to be gained? Nothing. Did you see that movie Incantation that was on Netflix by any chance? I don't think so. Oh, so I don't want to spoil it. It's very, very good. I think it's still on Netflix. But it's basically, a, imagine the ring, but like 10 times scarier. And my, and my husband is still mad at me. Because <laughs> he's just like, why would you invite that into the house? It's like, Sorry. <laughs> it's very good. Very okay. Good. I think we are we are good. Mac, I know you were saying something. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know what it's really about. I, 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 I can launch into it. But what it's really about, Editor Billy, is uh, the top secret origin of Gwyneth Paltrow. Because there are large swaths of that movie where I'm like, how did they get Gwyneth Paltrow into this movie? Because Mia Farrow like, is a dead ringer to the point where I think she might secretly be Gwyneth Paltrow's mother. And then this would do it. And that's how you explain goop. And <laughs> there you are. <laughs> goop is my nemesis. The way IMDb is yours. Goop is mine. They Fair. lie. They lie. They put up uh, instructions for for detox and then try to sell you a hundred ninety five dollar detox kit. They're awful. Okay, <laughs> that's what I'm with this podcast and, is about. And IMDb is part of that unholy trinity, along with I, I don't know. I can't think of a third thing that I hate that much. It'll come to you. It'll come yeah, to you. That, that every, like like reasonable people should hate. Like this is something that we're like, oh, that's benign, but no, it's terrible. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh. The origin of Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Love it. So I think the score is brilliant. Like the opening score yeah. that sounds like a lullaby. Like I I'm always struck by that. I think with Pharaoh singing, yeah. Is that who Oh, it is? is that Pharaoh singing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes it even more fantastic. Weirdly, I found it annoying. Like I really wanted a word at some point. Mm. Any word. Any word would have done. I was I was really done with La La's <laughs> pretty quick. But if it's lullaby-esque, like it works in that way. Like that's how it comes off to me as like a lullaby. So it didn't uh, work for me. I have okay. to that's but that's that's me. It was a lovely tune, but goddamn I needed a word. <laughs> I would really love to jump right into art and artist. Donna, I'm so glad you said something because I was just going to say we have been, you know, discussing that off mic and I was going to going to let you uh, have the floor to to start that uh, art versus the artist discussion. Oh, you don't want me to start it because I will just have a series of disjointed thoughts. <laughs> All right. Which will be great for Billy. <laughs> Which will be great for Billy. Um, for instance, I don't have a good answer for this problem. For instance, I don't have a problem listening to Michael Jackson. I can listen to Michael Jackson and I know he did bad things. I can't stand Woody Allen. I don't like to listen to Sticks because I don't like the way they broke up and they used to be my favorite band. <laughs> they didn't do anything terrible. I just don't like the way they broke up. It was kind of like, like a bad breakup between celebrity couples and they didn't do anything bad. They just broke up badly. So I don't have a good answer to separating the art from the artist. I know sometimes I just don't like it. And sometimes I can easily do it. So there, that's, I, I actually would love some help settling this issue. I always treat it as a case by case basis. I, that is just, you know, and I know that's kind of a blanket statement and that may be a cop out, but to me, it is a case by case basis. I, you know, and I think you, you brought in some great examples, Donna, of, of why, it should be a case by case basis and and we need to be having these discussions about it. Yeah. You know, we've also sort of just ubiquitously accepted the auteur theory that this is a product of Roman Polanski. And that's true to a lot of extent, but there is a lot of other art going on. There's the music, there is Mia Farrow's performance, which I think is singular in horror movies. I don't think like, hey, there's a new Roman Polanski movie coming out. I'll be like, let's go. You know, I think somebody at some point brought up recently, like, can we forgive someone after a certain amount of time? That's a trickier question to wrestle with. But I don't think Roman Polanski would qualify if we could, because he immediately went on the run. He did. He paid zero penance for the things that he did. Yeah. But then I think I also talked about it in my comments at the top. It's a little easier to separate the art from the artist in Polanski's film, as opposed to Woody Allen's movies, which are certainly a uh, tangential issue to what we're talking about now with the, the Mia Farrow connection, because Polanski's films do not feel autobiographical. I think I could probably watch this again. I could probably watch Chinatown again. 
because it's it doesn't also read like a confession. Whereas Woody Allen movies, he's an older man seducing a younger woman and all the time where it's like, can you just go find a, a, a police officer and turn yourself in? Do we have to watch this over and over again? So complicated, but uh, I think everybody approaches it with their with their own energy. Yeah, it's yeah. really tricky. I think a big part of it for me is thinking about when the art was made, when the allegations came out, and yeah. where my money is going to within that formula. So a film yeah. like this, we didn't know at the time what was what what was or will happen. Um, and I think that that art exists in that bubble. It doesn't mean it's safe about it, but I do think it means that every time we do talk about it, we need to talk about Ryan Polanski and address that so that we just don't forget it. I think that's yeah. a big thing for me. I think it's that's the sticking point for me, whether or not you engage with the media is that you, because kind of following up Max said, like so many other people are involved in making a movie work. It's, it's a miracle that any film ever gets made based on how many hands are needed to get it done. So I don't want to like have other people pay the price for someone else's misdeeds. But I do think that he's one of those filmmakers where unlike Woody Allen, he's still extremely successful overseas. Like in 2023, yeah. he won a Cesar award. And uh, the actor from A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Adele Hanel, made a big show of walking out with the entire cast of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Because she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, and like all the trades are like, oh, my God, Adele Hanel walked out of the Cesar Awards. And it's just like, well, yes, yeah, it was a statement because it seems like this is one of those filmmakers where other people have forgotten a lot yeah. of the things that have happened and he's still getting acclaimed. People are still hiring him. And I feel like it's it becomes after a certain point, like is the consumer the one to blame or the systems that are supporting these people should carry more of that burden? Like, yeah. is it my fault if I watch Rosemary's baby? Am I like supporting a rapist or like, should these like Hollywood elites stop hiring and giving money and funding to someone who is corrupt? Um, so I try to think of it that way. Cause I think it, I have to think about this a lot for my day job, um, especially in like how to report on these things and what is an ethical way to do that. And I just feel like a lot of the time people I think people should keep having these conversations, but I also feel like it's okay if it's messy and complicated. And that's kind yeah. of the point. I also think like if you're avoiding talk of his genius and, and trying to lionize the director as a almost mytho heroic figure, uh, that's a lot of the landscape to get to somewhere in the vicinity of a ethical quest to take in this media because the uh, how they got to that place of power is that they were revered as untouchable geniuses and should be held to a different standard that's how they got to that corrupt place and if you take that away from them in your own perception and we do that collectively then it certainly is a different way of taking it in than we did in the past but it, yeah yes like this is tangential, but I think of this a lot whenever we talk about John Carpenter and how there's always a select few people that are always like, and Deborah Hill, whenever we talk about Halloween, and these people mm. are not connected to allegations of abuse of any kind, but the idea that we can't separate like the auteur from like the film editor or the screenwriter, right. that we always be like, this property belongs to this one person is something I think you just need to stop doing. Like I will be in yeah. my soapbox forever to be like, name one film editor, guys, name one film editor, Find pick me a famous director in Hollywood tarantino any male director i will show you there's a woman film elder behind that that we never talk about mm -hmm. um and that's i feel like another way to dismantle some of that power is just to Absolutely. bring up other names yeah i think one um, of we did we did prince of darkness recently and i, I was kind of checking out of the movie and my note there was where's deborah hill where do you need her <laughs> yeah <laughs> one thing i wanted to bring up uh just so we're all kind of in the same time space area we're recording this just a few days after Danny Masterson was sentenced to 30 years in prison for rape. And I mentioned this because when I was reading about Roman Polanski last night to make yeah. sure I had in mind what was going on, I noticed that a lot of people had signed things. I, the word just fled my Character mind. Character statements. Yeah. Supporting him. And some people that I was really disappointed to see had done so, like Natalie Portman, who's taken her name off of it. But still, Natalie Portman was one of the people who had signed this. And I'm putting these two things together because a lot of Danny Masterson's co-stars from that 70s show, who are people that I have liked 
put glowing character references for Danny Masterson for his sentencing. And I just, it's really disturbing because the things that Danny Masterson did were bad. They were really bad. And I'm just thinking about being one of those victims and hearing these people that I assume they like and respect praise Danny Masterson for being this great father and this person who helped keep someone off drugs when, you know, they were the victim of his violent behavior. Anyway, I feel like these two things kind of come together. Right. And I think that that really does zero in on this situation as opposed to maybe some others like Cass very particularly uh, keyed in on the idea of uh, allegations with Polanski, it is not a matter of allegation. It is conviction. He flew justice when it turned out that the judge was not going to accept his plea bargaining deal. Mm-hmm. So, like, when we can call him a rapist. There is no legal issue. He has been tried and convicted and sentenced in absentia to uh for his crimes whereas other figures you 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 know you you want to thread that needle but no roman polanski is a rapist let's all say the sentence yeah Yeah. a a rapist of a 13 year old and um and i guess court of public opinion yeah this is court of courtness he's a child rapist Yeah. yeah and and yeah he didn't because I, I don't know how old he was when it happened. He was an adult, but he didn't come back. He didn't serve his time and he didn't do the, wow, I was an idiot. Uh, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't go away. His career did not suffer. No, there's been no, uh, <clears throat> been no attempt to redeem himself. Yeah. Been no God, God, I shouldn't have done that. And I, I was an idiot and boy, I'm going to, there was nothing. He's just like, nah, man, she was mature for her age. Like, dude, dude. And I wonder if that's why maybe, and I don't know, right? I don't know, but maybe on some sort of subconscious level, why I get skirmish skirmish watching this. It's not just the knowledge of that, but like the, why, why was Polanski attracted to this script? Why was he so excited about this project? Why is he so zeroed in on this ingenue, helpless woman that is just like being controlled by everyone else around her who has no agency, who just like gets like just trapped into uh-huh. this into this hellscape. And I feel like there's something in that that like I think there's something like beating beneath the lens that you feel something of this. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, why are we just we're just really focusing in on like hysteria right here? We're just we're not moving the lens. We're just living in a space. And there's something about that that if I think about it too much, I'm just like, I think he liked it. I think he liked doing this. Oh yeah. Um, I get and the same yeah. feeling from uh, Quentin Tarantino and his his focusing in on choking women and violence mm. towards women, and I, I get I get that exact same feeling. Yeah, like okay, this is a good film, Q, but maybe so, yeah, maybe very, like five seconds less of this. I'm happy is a weird way to put it, but um, that Sharon Tate wasn't actually cast in this movie because, like, mm. that was the plan at some point. And he imagined how that would have aged, especially what, given oh. like what happened oh. to Sharon Tate. Like, oh. 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 like it just like sends me crawling up the wall. It, it would have been essentially a snuff film at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oof. Oof. Well, that is. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, the exact sorry, same everybody. We all just gave. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, um, did we resolve anything with that or did we all just express a lot of feelings? We all expressed a lot of feelings. And I think, but it also shows that this is not, this is an issue that is not going to be solved, that it is a case by case basis. And using Polanski as that uh, jumping off point, I think shows you that it is, it is a complicated discussion and one, and I do agree with Cass, one that we need to continue to have mm-hmm. and we should never stop having that discussion i do really like the point that mac made though that you know rosemary's baby yeah rosemary's <laughs> baby is a is a film made by roman polanski um woody allen's films are films about woody allen and yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a different level you, yeah. you can't you can't not uh reckon with the questions but i can't watch a woody allen movie anymore and this is coming from somebody who loved 
Woody Allen's movies in the past. Like I had them all on disc and I got rid of them. I don't go see his new movies. I, I, I got to a point where I was like, I can't live in the space. Well, oh, well, the judge said this and he said that and then all that. And then I can just live absolutely ethics free in the middle zone between all of that. Yeah. Dude, you're sleeping with your adoptive daughter. Yeah. You can't you can't get past that. And Alan fans will get into semantics there. We're like, oh, well, she wasn't really his daughter. She was Mia's daughter. And he never really raised her and that sort of thing. And I made those same sort of mental gymnastics as well. Bad. It was bad then. Bad now. Don't watch Woody Allen movies. Period. That's the other level of it where you can just you can't divorce art from the artist. Throw it all out. By the way, I didn't mean to call out Natalie Portman. Specifically, that was just the name that popped into my head when I reached for a name. Yeah, so most a, of the, that 70s show people also yeah. chimed in with that. Yeah. There yeah. were a lot of names that were on that list. It was just Natalie Portman was the name that came to mind. She is far from the only one. Portman's yeah. the one that surprises me the most. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I'll I'll agree with that. Maybe that was the reason her name yeah. came to mind. Yeah. So should we move on? Let us, yeah. let us go on. Uh, I don't think we're going to get anywhere new. No, yeah. no. We, but that's okay. We're, we're still having the discussion. Yeah. Um, while I'm thinking of it, I think I think it was Cass who mentioned some of the beautiful shots. There was one shot that was so good, and it's near the end that I had to stop and rewatch it twice more. And it's when she's sneaking into the other apartment, and she's got the knife. And actually, I guess it's when she's sneaking out of her apartment and she notices that the crib is rocking and she reaches out with the knife to stop the crib from rocking. And I was like, holy shit, that's so good. And just to hit the crib with the knife, I did. I just I hit the the back button hmm. and, and rewatched that two or three times because it was just amazing. So, yes amazing shots in this film i just wanted to say that before i forgot it i just want to bring up before i forget it that i love that william castle produced this film and it is so out of left field like if if you don't and mac if i if i if i'm wrong on my on who william castle is i I I think you're right keep going keep going uh, he is the one that uh produced all those schlocky but fun 50s horror films like the tingler they always had a gimmick there was something going on uh he did 13 ghosts a lot of uh what is it dark house the original 13 ghosts yeah they yeah, yeah the original 13 ghosts that a, a bunch was it the dark house company or dark castle remade yeah. back in the early 2000s but like the, the original 13 ghosts house on haunted hill and he was very fun so the fact to see this name you know, seeing his name with this film, I love it. I it, love it, it so much. You you took most of the words right out of my mouth. The only addition in that is that uh, it's fascinating. One of my favorite movies is Matinee. Uh, John Goodman's character in that is based on William Castle. And then you think oh. about the sequel to Matinee where he makes Rosemary's Baby. And it's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another thing I just noticed in my notes, you remember when she gets she gets out the Scrabble tiles and she starts playing with the name is an anagram. I became convinced because the thing that his name is Hurt Hurts Hutch Hutch. Yeah. Uh, the thing that Hurt Hutch went away to research was Tannis root. So when the 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 it came back, the name is an anagram. I was convinced the anagram was Tannis root. So if you really mangle the spelling of Tannis, you can make Tannis an anagram for Satan. So that's where I was really convinced we were going. That feels like a, a little Baptist girl thought yeah, that creeped yeah. into your head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, that turned out to not be it. But I was I was really proud of myself. You have to spell Tannis, T-A-N-A-S. That would that, be the correct amount of letters for Satan. Yeah, yes. that, that was not it, by the way. No, it was not. I just wanted to throw that out. We can move on. <laughs> um, can we talk about how young Charles Grodin looks? Like he looks like such a baby. And it's like one of his first him. movies. Yeah. Like, I, I, I spent all this time going, who is that? And I was making a deliberate attempt to not go to IMDb because I didn't want to spoil anything. So yeah. I just the two the two scenes that he was in, I was going, I know that guy. 
anyway, yes, he was very young. Yeah, he was very young. And like, I couldn't tell it. Like, I loved, I think it's the second scene that he's got a mustache. It's like, is that a monk? Okay, okay. I've never seen you with facial hair, Charles Grodin, but all right. All right. <laughs> See, I'm trying to do a little happy, like, funness before we get into, because I want to talk about Guy. Just Guy overall. Right. Uh, uh, Tony, Curti- Tony Curtis is Donald Baumgart on the phone. Really? Really? Yeah. And uh, Rosemary's on the phone with him and she gets this look like, what's going on? Because she, in her mind, they didn't tell her that Tony Curtis was on the line. And she's like, where have I heard this voice before? And after that, she hung up and they, Polanski says, cut. Like, oh, that was Tony Curtis. We called him in. <laughs> that That's- is me. Okay, I, I, I'm about to say something nice about Roman Polanski. Someone shoot me. That's cool. <laughs> that's that's, that's cool. a nice little moment. It's one of those manipulative director moments that's sort of low impact and not damaging. Yeah. 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 That's something that feels like something Carpenter would do. Like, yeah. just, just, just have, you know. At ra- Deborah Hill's suggestion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Um, Let's get into Guy. <laughs> Let's get into the guy of it all. What oh, a dick looking. Yeah, Say I again, said I it. Didn't hear, I, I, I didn't hear it. He's not even that good looking. He's B-movie he's, handsome. He's B-movie. Yeah. yeah. He, he's he's an okay looking guy. Wouldn't kick him out of bed. I could but, see him playing a cop on a TV show for several years. No, you know? him. Actually, I take that back. Him, I definitely would kick out of bed. But a guy of his caliber... You wouldn't kick that face out of bed. I wouldn't kick that face out of bed. Reading the book, I don't see Cassavetes as as Guy. He's so aloof in the text of the story that I saw John Cazale in there. uh, 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 Fredo from the Godfather movies. Okay, okay. He seemed just sort of reading in the text. It was, yeah, he was an actor, but he was like, an interesting like he was too interesting to really have a personality of his own uh so yeah i i didn't see b movie you know uh john cassavetti's like hey hi rosemary i'm your husband i'll be playing the role of your husband these next nine months i'll be improvising <laughs> most of it i can't ad lib that much so you'll should be able to see right through me oh you didn't well then good for me <laughs> yeah so because these the last two times that I've watched this film, because uh, I, I, we were discussing off mic, I saw this film in my 20s the first time, and then I rewatched it again uh, right at the start of COVID. And I guess in my 20s, I didn't pick up on all the gaslighting. But this, I mean, this watch and then the watch before, like, it just infuriates me so much because there is so much gaslighting it's gaslighting me like and i'm not even married to guy and i'm getting gaslit like like just and then the whole let's have a baby to save a marriage and just oh the the scene that gets me and on this watch that just got me and this was rosemary's friend hutch but hutch And Guy are having a discussion about Rosemary and Rosemary's health in front of Rosemary and not asking her, how are you feeling? How are Mm -hmm. you there? Oh, I I get very angry and I don't have words. (laughs) It's it's to the movies and the story's credit because that feels very true to the reality of, you know, wives in the 60s. Yeah. Well, and I... I I didn't realize that. I mean, I've heard mm-hmm. that I have heard that talk, but I never I never saw that growing up. I never I never everything was a partnership, you know, like what I what I saw with my parents' marriage. Like oh, I never you, you grew up in a happy home. Just uh, like <laughs> oh, just just the quiet brag there. Like oh, I, like I'm, see, I'm not my, even... my life was entirely happy. I don't understand what these people are doing. Bragging about your <laughs> Your parents' marriage. Oh my God. Okay. Can't let see. me let me rephrase. <laughs> let me rephrase. I never I never saw it. It was never done in front of me. Let me rephrase, okay? I I, I had the bubble. All right. <laughs> so the fact to see Rosemary treated like a child, treated, you know, and she's a grown woman, like 
putting the book up where she can't reach it. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, seriously, seriously, yeah. like, oh, just all the irritation. Yeah. And while I think it's got better, I don't know that it's got better enough these days. No, not these days. I, I still remember it was about a year ago going in and complaining to the doctor that um, I was having pain in my hips and my shoulders. And I said, you know, I've, I've had arthritis in my knees. I know what arthritis feels like. This is, this is not that pain. And he was like, well, you know what late stage arthritis feels like. This is early stage arthritis. And I was just like, really, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember in COVID once I was definitely misdiagnosed and I got put on antidepressants and I was like flying high for a while. <laughs> and I think about that often of just being like, I'm I'm happy at least that like I'm alive in a, in a era of uh, agency, I guess, of what we, what we had to be like, hmm, I don't feel good taking this. I'm not going to take this mm-hmm. uh, because no doctor was like really checking in to make sure that was going well. So yeah. Yeah. And you, you you don't have a spouse who, if you stopped taking it, was like, no, Cass. Crushing it up we, in my chocolate mousse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We've talked about this. <laughs> Gotta take those pills. Having your neighbor make you shakes with the pills. That- <laughs> this movie does make me afraid because I talk to all my neighbors. Like, No, I a, no. Like, I, know, I know, I know. I But also I have a dog that is like a huge like people lover. So everyone in the building knows our dog. There's like people on like other apartment buildings next to us that knows Lyra. So like I... I tangentially know like 30 neighbors just because of my dog. And I'm like, I got to be careful. Cause I might one day be like, sure. Like Harry, I'll have a drink of something. I'm like, I can't, I have to say no now. Cause I, <laughs> after watching this. Cause they might be trying to get you pregnant by Satan. You never know. You never Good luck. Know. <laughs> Cass, I feel that pain as having a very people friendly dog. And we walk our neighborhood. Ben, he, he wants to meet people. I have met all most of our neighbors in our neighborhood saying hi mm-hmm. because of him. So I I relate <laughs> so much. You got to be extra careful, right? I, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> Those damn people friendly dogs. They're just going to get you. <laughs> the other half of this is that you know this film in a in a not the only item contributing this contributing to sort of a satanist panic like you know people saw this movie and they wouldn't talk to the name because they could be satanists like sometimes you know honestly from what i've understood real satanists are perfectly lovely ish people yeah i do actually know some satanists and they're just like super progressive yeah happy people they just wear a lot of black and they just like to tell me about metal bands i will never listen to but they're very lovely right they always bring snacks <laughs> right which, 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 you can't eat. which brings me to a, a point in this movie. Like, I think all religions can open up for about 60 seconds with something good. Christianity is like, oh, you know, we're all into forgiving sin. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's interesting. But also and then like, ah, forget all that crap. Scientology is like, hey, we hate motion blurring. I'm like, go on, because an alien told us to ah, get it out of there. And then. The Satanists in this movie are all like, hey, you know, we're going to like resolve the inequities of all the other religions. I'm like, that's interesting to me. Go on by forcibly impregnating this woman. Oh, well, I'm not interested in that. So (laughs) thanks, but no thanks. It's that 61st second of the religion religion pitch where I'm like, no, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Mac, they got to get their foot in the door. It's all about the sales pitch, okay? They I gotta... do, but you got to let them talk for after that first minute because they're going to talk themselves out of the sale no matter what happens. <laughs> the first note I have written down is, I'm probably not supposed to like Mrs. C, but I really do. <laughs> I really I know, like You her. are supposed to. You oh, okay. shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I really like her. She's adorable. Like that she had pink in her hair. Like yeah. I like that she was just she was loud. She was fun. Just the whole devil baby, you know, yeah. wanting, wanting to bring about the antichrist. You, and, know, you know, I wonder how much chairs cost. Sometimes <laughs> we mentioned off Mike Ruth Gordon that that plays Mrs. C that she won an Oscar for this, and it's I can definitely see why. Like just she just 
she just kind of brings down your defenses and kind of bulldozes you over. And you don't want it to happen, but then you're like, oh, it's just Minnie. You know what? You you start sounding like guy and you're like, oh, it's Minnie. It's fine. She's an old woman. They're, you know, they're making us those vodka blushes. That's that's fine. That's fine. It's, it's all fine. It's just Minnie. Yeah. The, the one-two punch of this and Harold and Maude, like, it's a, two really indelible performances that aren't different, really, but have entirely different implications to them. Mm. I forgot she's so, yeah, she's quite good. Her husband, on the other hand, her in-movie husband, don't like him. No. Don't he, like him. Even before you met him, like I mean, even when you like you first met him, you just you felt like I don't know, like you just you got something on you, and you just need to like wipe it off. Like just you feel gross. But I do like that they wear pastels for being Satanist in, in this film. Like there, well, it's 1968. Everybody was. Well, that's I mean, true. Satanists that's, are very fashionable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The the devil is a uh, he knows uh, what's going to be in. He's letting them letting them know ahead of time. What uh what the new look it's uh it's gonna be the short haircut, a little uh So one thing I noticed almost immediately about Rosemary is how observant she is. She is a super observant person, but she's not very confident, you know. So she's observing all these things, but she's I don't want to say allowing herself to be gaslit as somebody who has been <laughs> a victim of some gaslighting. Um, you don't allow yourself to be gaslit. Well, I, I think that goes to a question that we were going to have, like, that she really want to have a baby. She wants this, this pristine life with Guy, and she's willing to ignore a lot mm -hmm. in pursuit of that. Didn't somebody call Guy a narcissist, or did I read that somewhere? No, I called him that. It's an objective truth that cannot be not observed. But yeah. go ahead. <laughs> okay. I was trying to remember where I encountered that description of Guy. And if that is the case, then narcissists are experts at pulling in people like Rosemary and um, people who are people pleasers and um, who want, you know, want to be liked, um, want to be secure. You know, if that's if that's the case, then... You know, he had he had Rosemary hooked by the time they got into that apartment. And um, she's she's super smart. She's very observant. Um, she just was so hooked on Guy by that point that she just let herself be talked out of things that she knew were true until it was way, way, way too late. You know, when you are three days from your due date, it's too late to be trying to run away in New York City. Yeah. Well, and in the, I in the summer, yeah, in the dead of summer, it would have been late June. Yeah, that's the yeah. true horror of this movie. She's pregnant in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I I was pregnant in. Does it suck as much as it seems? I was I was pregnant in in late spring, so it wasn't full on summer. I think I might have died. <laughs> I was born in the middle of July in Oklahoma. My mother still uh, has not forgiven me. I, I I can't blame her. I can't, no, blame I, her. I can't. I can't either. I mean, it, it <laughs> creates a certain amount of psychosis in me, but it's not not her fault. I think my family couldn't forgive me because I was insisting that the thermostat be set to below seventy in winter. I was like, no, it is too hot in here, and they were like, we're freezing. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I, don't I was care. I was twenty one days late, and there's a picture of my mother and. She looks like, bless her heart, she looks like a tick that's about ready to pop, and she's miserable. <laughs> 21 days late, holy cow! Yeah, I was... So was I. Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to be Into born... summer. Yeah, I was supposed to be born April 1st, and I... They were just like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then basically, if my mom hadn't went into labor when she did, like, two days later, they were going to induce her. It's 1978, gang. All right, <laughs> so... Yeah. Like, we'll just wait it out. We'll wait Eventually, it out. Mackenzie will come. We'll She's just... ready. Why She's... rush her? Ooh. They had to go in after me. I was I was the rock star <laughs> ruining the hotel room and just had to be escorted out. Macula, you have stayed far too long. Yeah. Checkout <laughs> time was... I just wanted a late checkout, guys. Hey. 
I'm still mad that I came, I came early, but I was supposed to be born in Halloween. And I was like, how cool would that have been? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Missed it. Just, I, I was the first fetus to proclaim squatters rights. But, you know, <laughs> it didn't hold up. You're still waiting on that decision in court, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's going to be a, a breakthrough case. 40 years later <laughs> don't flee overseas we need to, yeah. need to <laughs> make a stick <laughs> right mac no i think that's uh jumping back to this movie i think that is one of the most horrifying aspects of it is just pregnancy no, period no, like... no not pregnancy period <laughs> you chose your spouse you're supposed to be yeah. able to trust your spouse and the fact you don't think your spouse is going to be acting against your best interests because that's not what a spouse should do. And so when Rosemary finds this out, I think that is the real betrayal. Yeah. yeah. In the interior life of the character in the book, she's like, oh, he's a narcissist, but I signed up for that. I, I married an actor. That's part of the deal. She makes a lot of excuses for him because she feels like she went in with her eyes open and she did just she fundamentally does not bargain for a Satanist cult offering her husband everything he wants in this world as long as he lets them do whatever they want with her. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. That's so interesting that they don't put that more into the movie. Because my one thought of that, like even little snippets of that, I think. Might have might solve my like problem with Rosemary's character in this movie. And it's there, one thing to suspect, but just be like, I don't want to believe. But we all know I kind of know. Um, right. Would have been kind of nicer, I think. That's the that's the only thing really cut out of the movie is, is that interior life of Rosemary, which is interesting given that Polanski wrote the screenplay as well. So make of that what you will. Right. So here's here's an interesting from the point of view of someone who writes. So the old lady who owned the apartment, she went into a coma and died after a long time in a coma. Mm -hmm. And then Hutch went into a coma and died after a long period of time in a coma. Mm -hmm. And then Don Baumgartner went blind. Right. Mm -hmm. So you really are supposed to go for threes. So the three there is three victims of witchcraft. Terry. But Terry. What? Terry. I think Terry was on deck to be the Rosemary and got freaked out and took the only way out that she felt she had available. Well, my point is that I feel like they either should have had Dawn go into a coma and die after a long illness, or they should have had something different happen to Hutch. To have two people go into a coma and one person go blind does not do the three thing very well. Agreed. Or the... The the Baumgart thing is specifically for Guy, and Guy is in a murky moral negotiation with himself there. I'm sure they said, oh, we'll put him into a coma and he'll die. And Guy's like, I don't want anybody to die. And they're like, okay, fine, we'll blind him. And, and he's like, yeah, let's do that. He'll still have a chance as a blind guy. Then I can, I can live as, I can keep living. So I think that's Guy's puny moralizing sneaking yeah. into the procedure yeah I'll, I'll go with that but still it, it, it does it lacks a certain symmetry yes yeah. I, I grant you all right do we have anything else on rosemary's baby i feel like we were supposed to get that there was some sort of catholic abuse that happened to rosemary it's in the book yeah yeah i i i i, I was 100 sure you were going to say that yeah Another one of the few things cut out, but it's also part of that interior life. And I just, I, I feel like we could have used one more scene. Mm. One more scene to really show us that, that that was, instead of a, oh, I think maybe there was Catholic abuse. Like, oh, nope, there was for sure Catholic abuse. Which would help us see why maybe she didn't go seek religious help. Right. Because as soon as I started suspecting there was satanic abuse, Catholics are probably where I would go. At the point I believed there was Satan I would go to Catholics. That's where I'd go. I'd at least consult with them. I'd like, hey, yeah, yeah, running this one by you. I'm not in. I'm not because again, you'll you'll talk about the religion for sixty seconds. Everything will be great. You'll get to se- second sixty one, and I'll be out the door. Um, but that's one of the few scenes really cut out of the book. There's a running 
uh, thread about, I, I think in the movie, Rosemary said she had like three sisters or something, two or three sisters. Yeah, three sisters and two something. brothers, something. Yeah. In the book, she has a lot more siblings. It's a honest-to-God Irish Catholic family, and she's pointedly estranged from them because of the Catholic abuse. And in fact, her sister has some sort of premonition that something bad's going to happen to her and calls her out of the blue, and you see that abuse play out a little bit. So it's there, and Polanski had no interest in it. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Um, I guess the only other comment I have is that I really just wish that in the discussion of the apartment that he had wanted the apartment instead of her, that she would have said, let's, let's get the, the less expensive apartment. And he would have been like, no, I want this one. That's, that's the only thing I, I wish had been different. Well, in the book, no, uh, yeah. Rosemary's all about the apartment. And he actually is resisting it because they already have another apartment across town and they had to get out of it. And they kind of talk about, they mention it. It's a one-off line about getting out of the lease. Yeah, that he he mentions it like well, we got to get out of our lease and she pushes him to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to, which goes to the question of I think it's in our polls, possibly. Yes, about, I think yes. so. Then I'll then I'll shut up. All right. Well, yeah. then be I'll, there soon enough. And then that's going to be our segue. Uh, so we for quotes, there's a lot of good quotes in this film. And we all had a lot of uh, we came to play when it came to quotes. <laughs> That uh, we, you know, we ran, ran the gauntlet from Rosemary to Guy to the doctor. And yeah, this is the iconic quote that we went with. And, but it's iconic for a reason. Normally we don't do that. But this one we did because this is why it's there. Um, we can also have a two part that Donna will paraphrase uh, after I give the quote here. But the quote that we went with is, what have you done to it? What have you done to his eyes? And it's just the delivery, the quote, like it's chef's kiss. And I was struck by Guy's absolutely clueless behavior after um, the labor, you know, after after Rosemary had the baby. I was absolutely struck by uh, Guy's like, everything's cool. We're just going to go on and keep being married and have more babies behavior. <laughs> for, so- for a bullshit artist, he's a bad actor. <laughs> Why do you think he needed the help of the devil, Mac? That's true. <laughs> so he uh, he comes up to her, and I have paraphrased what he said to her as, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, so I'm going to take this opportunity to laugh at you and call you crazy. Cass and Mac, we kind of have a two-part rule, so you guys have our rule. Never take or eat chocolate mousse from strangers. Absolutely. Yep. And my rule is the plan B rule. Uh, uh, if JFK appears to you in a dream, then plan B becomes plan A forever. Just always. E- even if, <laughs> even if you were not a, uh, a fab, just, just take it anyway, just to be on the safe just, side. Just to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just- you could be in an Arnold Jr. situation and nobody needs that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I have our poll, which is how different would this movie be if it was written and directed by a woman? A lot. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest one, I think we would see Rosemary's Agency and we would see. uh, The plot does start to unravel if she has too much agency, I'll say. Well, but I'm talking more about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm more talking about her knowing who Guy is, who she married. You can have that and then still have her feeling her spouse knows what's best. Like you can still you can still have that. But that's I think that would be the biggest one. Also, the the 2014 miniseries was directed by a woman. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. Well, now so. I definitely want to. I was very afraid of how that sentence was going to end. So I'm <laughs> I'm glad how it did end. I was oh. wincing in anticipation of how it was going to end. How might it have ended? I don't. I. I, I don't know. For, for the the instant reaction in my mind was that it was directed by Roman Polanski, um, which I knew wasn't possible. But still, that was what my brain was 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 supplying. And then that would be a fascinating thing. Like oh, I'm just going to do that movie again. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, anyway, um, I know that this is going to be a controversial take on this, but assuming that the movie directed by a woman is still set in the mid 60s, I'm not sure that it would be that different. I think we would see a lot more of Rosemary's thought process, but Rosemary really resonated with me because of an experience I had with some narcissistic behavior and my understanding of how people pleasers work, where you do take things that you know to be true and put them aside because you're just trying to keep those people happy. Right. So what she was doing made a lot of sense to me. And in the 60s, the fact that, for instance, Dr. Hill was like, OK, yeah, sure, I'm going to take care of you. You lay down right here and I'm going to go call your husband and tell him what you're saying. That made perfect sense to me. I mean, a lot yeah. of the stuff that happened was very, very realistic in that time period. Um, so I'm not sure the main plot would have changed at all. Some details of Rosemary's behavior would have changed if it had been directed by a woman. I think we would have seen a lot more of her struggles and her thoughts. But I was actually stunned by how smart and observant that Rosemary was. I, I was stunned by the fact that she took that initiative to stop taking that drink. Um, that she took that initiative to say, no, I am going to go see a different doctor, even though that didn't work out so well for her. You know, I'm not going to say it wouldn't have been different. I'm just saying that if it was still set in the 60s, that it wouldn't have been that different. I gotcha. Yeah, I think it reminds me of what Mac was saying about Polanski's intention. Like he decided to make this more of a transcription than an adaptation. So I feel like a lot of what I'm thinking hinges on if the person who read Air Levin's book would have made the same choice. Right. Um, if they did, right? If we're assuming plot like beat for beat, they're do widely doing the same thing. I think the main thing that would have changed is Terry's role in the film. I don't think she would have suffered a different fate or anything, but I just always, whenever there's a film directed by a guy, I always like am extra, extra critical when there's a conversation between two women, like with how their dialogue is, like what they mm. say, what they don't say, the way the director may be like, encourages or doesn't certain like knowing looks between them and i think their their relationship is like not really explored and i feel like if a if a woman's touch was in here even if like they didn't say anything differently i think the way they would have shared space would have felt different i can't quite say how but i just that's just one thing i think that always sticks out like a sore thumb for me where i'm like oh yes a man clearly made this because this is not how women talk to each other <laughs> excellent point that is a really good point yeah i'm sorry i missed that macula i kind of talked a little bit like the 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 remake is directed by a woman i think Cass hit it on on the head it'd be a the, the question of different adaptation would there be any of the director and screenwriter in it if someone else regardless of gender uh had made it i think you wouldn't lose rosemary's internal life because Polanski is interested in making a horror movie, whereas a, a woman might be more interested in telling Rosemary's story. That doesn't change a lot of the facts of the story. She's still going to be a, a sometimes frustrating character. But I think this hypothetical director would direct it and writer would make the story with more sympathy. I, maybe not quite the right word, but empathy for rosemary whereas i don't think this movie has a lot of empathy for rosemary it, it rosemary is a uh a, a device of the plot for polanski yeah at the same time uh you made a point earlier that mia farrow acted the hell out of what she had to work with and she did i mean mia farrow did a fantastic job acting even when some of what she had to work with was really rough there was a couple of scenes where she just had her hands over her face and it looked really I, rough. I don't, I don't think she was method at, at, or ever, but if she was, she certainly had a lot of sense memory to work with being married to Sinatra at the moment. I mean, that, that's yeah. it would probably inform her 
feeling being married to a narcissist. I don't know. I'm just making yeah, an being, assumption about Frank Sinatra being over. Well, yeah, no, Frank Sinatra is narcissist is such an, uh, <laughs> a, like, a controversial opinion. Get the cease and desist letter from the Sinatra estate. He was not a narcissist. <laughs> he was a psychopath. Okay. <laughs> How dare you downgrade him? Right. And on that note, let's roll into happy place. Who wants to go first? I have one. All right. I I have one from this movie. Are you ready? Ready. How many times have you all heard me bitch about the way they are drawing blood or injecting things into people? Mm -hmm. This was a realistic blood draw. (laughs) Too much so for my taste. But yes, I agree. It was a realistic (laughs) blood draw. The, The needle was at the right angle. Oh, I was like, I cannot believe it. How how have we actually gotten worse at this over time? Because we really don't care to. And, and like plenty of people are squicked out about it like I am. Charles Grodin's method. He was a method actor. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Grodin went and learned how to yeah. blood draw and then went and did it. Is that what yep. you're saying? Yep. He's okay. method. <laughs> anyway, I was so happy. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They're doing it right. That's my happy place. There's a movie with accurate blood draw in it. Have you ever seen the autopsy of Jane Doe, Donna? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I would love to see, hear your thoughts because they had they had their crew. I'm talking about this some later today, but they had their crew go to actually witness like autopsies and work with coroners on set. So I would love to see if you're like, no, this is still not accurate. So if you really want a body horror one, autopsy of Jane Doe. <laughs> yes, I have I have written down three different movies that you you've recommended in this podcast. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, uh, I'll go ahead and go next on Happy Place. So mine is a little bit two-part. One, Bethesda released Starfield, and it's fantastic, and I've been playing it. It's great. It's beautiful. It's Bethesda. It's it's what you want in a Bethesda game. And my second point of my Happy Place is at the end of August, actually on the 31st, we hit the three-month mark with Finn, our dog that we adopted. And so we've passed the three, three, and three. So, and he's yeah, his little personality is just, it's there. And he's, he's my, my sweet boy. And that just, yeah, that's my happy place. I'm so glad. Uh, uh, mine is going to be a little odd with this movie, but <laughs> uh, my wife was out of town this whole week. Uh, she was going, she was at her brother's wedding uh, in California and I, I missed the Dickens out of her and, and she's back now. And I am uh, a, a, certainly a better husband than guy, but like, I mean, who isn't? um uh the so i yeah i i i my wife is my happy place so that's fantastic that is love to hear it (laughs) uh i think mine is my dojong so where i do taekwondo we were doing drills the other day where it was like you everyone lines up and holds a pad and you have to run down and like basically it's almost like non-stop kicking like you run kick run kick and you're going down the line and you run back and do it again and I love the feeling whenever you're doing any kind of like sport where like, it's like your brain shuts off sort of, and your body just knows what to do. And as someone who's like super anxious, like it's rare that I get those moments where I'm like, oh, like I'm in the zone. And like, I felt mm-hmm. that this weekend and I was like, oh, so relieving. <laughs> so that was my happy place. The moments when your brain shuts off or when your brain shuts up rather. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe not shut off, but like that, you know what I mean? Where it's like, there's yeah. quiet and you're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> quiet brain is heaven. Cass, thank you so much for coming and discussing Rosemary's Baby with us. We always love when you we get to have you as a guest. Uh, where can they find you? What you got going on? Sure. Thank you. Also, I will say that uh, doubly thank you because I feel like whenever I come on, I always like to, I don't think that I'm funny, but I find like I make a lot of jokes. The older I get, I'm like, no, you like to make jokes. Like also you're a chaos agent. Like, <laughs> so thank you for uh, putting up with me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Cass Clark for as long as Twitter's around for this September, I have a, my debut horror novella coming out called The Caretaker from Harris Screen Press. If you like, yeah, thank you. Uh, so if you like spooky things, body horror especially, it's just a story about an overworked nurse who goes home to take care of her mother's, uh, well, dead mother's things, and she finds a haunted hospice bed and mysteries unfold. So there's your little teaser. The Caretaker? Mm-hmm. Okay. And when does it come out? It comes out September 15th, which is nice. exciting. Where can we find it? Uh, it should be on Amazon and also on Hero Scream's press site. Okay. Very nice. 
Well, Cabin, we are uh, on Twitter. We're on Instagram at Beyond Cabin. We're on Blue Sky and Threads, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. We have a Facebook page, also Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Our website, beyondthecabininthewoods.com. I am on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky at Callista77. I'm on Blue Sky at dragongoblin.com and on Instagram at dragongoblin. Um, I actually went through and found an app that just deleted all my tweets. My tweets are gone. There are no tweets. It kind of squicked out on me when I tried to get it to delete my likes, but that's fine. I could, I don't mind that I still like things. So I only exist on Twitter anymore, so somebody else doesn't take my name. So you you can't find, I don't exist on Twitter except as a placeholder. I there is a Twitter account that exists at Party Apocalypse. It is a husk. Uh, the locusts will eat it one day. Um, <laughs> I am on Blue Sky at Party Apocalypse dot social or dot social dot Just the same handle. If you get to Blue Sky, uh, it, it's there. Also at Party Apocalypse on Spoutable, which still exists. So good on them. Partyapocalypse.com contains this podcast and other fine podcasts, including The Holiday is Broken, Disorganized, a Criminal Minds podcast, and full runs of As the Myth Turns, uh, Friendables, Two Friends Talking About Hannibal Lecter, and The Fourth Wall, uh, books, blogs, and movie reviews, and nothing else. Thank you so much to our editor, Billy, for always coming in, making us sound fantastic, doing tech support on the fly. Appreciate all that you do. <laughs> we love you, Billy. And leave all that riffing in. That was quality stuff, Billy. <laughs> quality, quality stuff. Also, thank you for listening. And please rate, review, and subscribe to us if you aren't doing so already. And don't read the Latin. You know what horror is? <laughs> <laughs>